0: Welcome to the Dylan Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Sessler, and today's episode 11, uh, where I have an incredible guest lined up for you. Uh, my guest was diagnosed psychotic 13 years ago, institutionalized, sedated, and medicated in his own personal health. He He took his health into his own hands and learned to overcome psychosis, multiple TBIs, chronic illness and depression by simply using Meditation—I shouldn't say simply, but using meditation, movement, biohacking, and nutrition. His popular YouTube channel features loads of practical tools for people, uh, so you can access them uh, and start your self-healing abilities. Start learning about self-healing abilities right now. Find the link in your in the description. Okay. My guest today is Nick Lawfree. Nick, how are you?
1: Pretty good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, man. It's good to see. You. It's good to meet. You. I, I, I found Nick on TikTok. So just, just for for people and reference, I'm Nick. I'm, I know you're on TikTok. You're on uh Instagram. You're on YouTube. I know you're big on bigger on YouTube, right?
1: Yeah, YouTube's probably my best resource. Yeah, what- yeah. My my TikTok uh, overnight blew up into my most fall. Follow- <laughs> it's like more followers on TikTok I got in the last week than all my other platforms combined. so the benefit of going viral absolutely
0: yeah once you once you hit a video and it goes like you're you got followers for sure yeah but nick tell me so tell me a little bit about yourself obviously we got we got a little bit of bio but tell me what the bio doesn't tell
2: me
1: um well (laughs) i think like you said like you said i should i probably shouldn't say simply for the meditation and stuff and (laughs) It's true. It was really, really complicated. And, uh, it wasn't just like, Oh, you know, I, something magical happened. Like I found one little tool and all of a sudden everything changed. It was just, it was like literally years and years of just slow, gradual process, trying one thing that sounded really healthy, but it actually took me several steps back because it wasn't the right kind of healthy thing for me. And, um, so a whole lot of like three steps forward, two steps back for years and years, So it is really hard and complicated. And I think that's why, um, like the reason my uh, TikTok thing kind of blew up was I was saying like, hey, look, like I fixed this crazy mental illness, you know, that's like the top of the top of like mental illness up there with like, you know, PTSD and like the worst stuff. And I totally fixed it by like eating different and stuff. And it sounds like really amazing, right? but I think the reason that's not a more common story is because it is so complicated. There's so much conflicting information, right.
0: um,
1: Especially in the nutrition world. And uh, it's just so much simpler to just be like, Oh, here's this expert. They're a psychiatrist. They told me to take this pill. It's so easy to take a pill. Right. And maybe it makes like the bulk of the problem go away for a while. And also maybe creates a whole bunch of other problems, but that aren't quite as bad compared to like, the worst mental state you could possibly be in it's like all right i'm maybe i'm fat and impotent now but like at least i'm not like paranoid out of my mind all the time you know so right
0: yeah well well let's let's talk about that why don't you why don't you tell me your story give me give me an understanding of of what brought on this this psychosis and and then obviously you were institutionalized tell me a little bit about that and then get into what, what this, all this complicated stuff, how did you get here to, to what you're doing now?
1: Well, how it came about is like, again, like a lot of complicated factors and I'm not totally sure what's what, but, uh, <clears throat> my best guess is that, uh, so first of all, I had a couple, uh, brain injuries uh so one was uh me, me and my friends were doing this i don't know if you've ever done this stupid thing where like you make yourself go unconscious for fun yes. <clears throat> but you like yeah you like hyperventilate until you like pass out basically and uh my friend who was supposed to catch me cuz we were doing it like standing up stupidly in a room with a concrete floor and my friend who was supposed to kind of help me have a soft fall just kind of like let me go and <laughs> i hit my hit my head on a concrete floor and had a seizure for like 30 seconds or something and and I was like really high at the time on uh, marijuana. <laughs> so, uh, when I woke up, I like didn't know who I was or where I was for a while. And so that was like one. And then, um, basically I was like way too into drugs. This was all in high school. And, uh, I was using a lot of drugs, ecstasy, ketamine, uh, weed every day, other drugs that actually had positive, uh, experiences with like mushrooms and things like that, that like really gave me some profound, like healing experiences it felt like at the time. Um, but just kind of really overdoing it. And one day I was skipping school and, uh, did like three hits of ecstasy, I think. And, uh, I wasn't really a smoker at the time, but somebody gave me a pack of cigarettes and I was like, oh, I smoked one. And I'm like, wow, this really makes the ecstasy better. <laughs> and so I smoked all 20 cigarettes in like two hours as like a non-smoker. Jeez. And, uh, I think it must've triggered so, something was going on in my brain and, uh, <clears throat> I wound up having a seizure just i just kind of fell into a bush and literally actually literally fell into a thorn bush and had a seizure in the thorn bush Jeez. uh which i'm glad i was unconscious for right but uh, i woke up and i'm like bleeding everywhere and my shoulder was dislocated and it was like nighttime all of a sudden like <laughs> i was out for like a long time and uh I had, and i had total amnesia i didn't know who i was or where i was for like a couple hours and, uh, <clears throat> was taken to the hospital and I kind of lied to the paramedics. I was just like, oh yeah, I had a couple drinks or something. And they took my driver's license away cause they thought I was an alcoholic or something, <laughs> but, uh, so that kind of screwed up my brain and later actually recently, uh, maybe a year ago, I actually read an article that, uh, people with schizophrenia and psychosis, their brains actually process nicotine differently than ordinary people. Um, so there might be some like genetic predisposition for nicotine to like mess with your brain more if you're uh, predisposed to psychosis, which I found really interesting. I don't know if you ever heard uh, Joseph Campbell's quote. I don't know if you know Joseph Campbell, the mythologist. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, his quote is, uh, the psychotic or schizophrenic drowns in the same water that the shaman swims. And I found it really interesting when I read that study because – shamans throughout north and south america like really prize nicotine basically tobacco Mm -hmm. as this like spiritual portal whereas i think like the ordinary person is like oh tobacco like it's kind of fun to smoke and you know kicks a little gets a little habit something you do with your fingers and everything but uh for me if i like smoke tobacco like right now i'm gonna like trip out like it's gonna be like a weird experience yeah it's gonna be a little bit like smoking weed with like more stimulation or something sure so I think there actually might be some, like, genetic predisposition that can turn you into a schizophrenic or, I guess, in a different cultural context, maybe a shaman or something.
0: Interesting. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah. So those were the main uh, brain injuries. And then, uh, so this was all kind of happening around the same time, um, within, like, the same six months. So another weird thing was uh, um, I wound up on uh, antidepressants. Uh, mostly because I was just, I had crazy social anxiety in high school. Like, I know probably everybody does, but I think mine was like especially intense. And uh, <clears throat> I would go home from school and just, I, my brain could not stop thinking about, like, oh, everybody must hate me. Like, here's all the things I did today that probably embarrassed myself. And here's all the reasons nobody likes me. And it wasn't even really true. Like, I had lots of friends and was fairly popular, but I just couldn't stop thinking that way as soon as I was alone. So I went up on uh, antidepressants, and uh, but as a heavy drug user, I got in my mind like, oh, the antidepressants, they affect your serotonin and so does ecstasy. So if I just take a lot of the antidepressant, it'll be like I'm on ecstasy all the time. And so I was like mega dosing it, <clears throat> which is not a good idea. Does it doesn't feel like ecstasy, full disclaimer? I didn't really notice anything. I didn't feel anything. Um, but it was kind of around that time I started to have like sort of weird delusions um, so at the time we, me and my friends, we all got really into conspiracy theories and stuff and yeah. was listening to Alex Jones every day and 9-11 conspiracies and the whole shebang. And, and we got really convinced that, uh, the, uh, Illuminati or something was like trying to lead us all into world war three and we were all going to get drafted and die. And it was just part of this big cl- plan to like lower global population or something. Um, no knocks to anybody who believes in this stuff I, right now i just i just sit with i don't fucking know like i, right. I have no right. no idea about any of this like i bet there's a ton of truth to a whole lot of that stuff i really don't i just i don't have the bandwidth to figure it out right it's not worth it but uh, at the time it was kind of screwed up because it was kind of like uh that and then like our own conspiracy theories we were researching and then at the same time like this is like 2006 2007 everybody's telling you like oh by the year 2020 you know climate change is gonna like completely destroy the planet like that if we don't change everything by 2020 like it all goes to hell and this was not like a conspiracy theory this was just like turn on the news read the newspaper kind of stuff right. and so i got just totally like disincentivized to to uh, make an effort to make my life better in the future because <laughs> it was like either world war iii is going to kill you or China, climate change is going to kill you so me and my friends were like trying to figure out how to like live in the woods, like hunter gatherers and stuff uh, so that we could survive the apocalypse. And, uh, but at the time, like my brain is starting to go psychotic. So I'm like hyper vigilant about all this stuff. And I thinking about it all the time. And um, <clears throat> and I was basically kind of caught between these two things like, okay, should I try to do something about all this and like save civilization or just figure out how to live in the woods and get the hell out of here. And, uh, I decided to figure it out by uh like running away from home for a little bit and trying to live in the woods and like see what that was actually like and i did this like during the school year so i like brought my backpack and all my school books and like toiletries so i could like shower in the river and like walk to school or something and i didn't tell my parents i was planning to do this i just kind of left so they were freaking out but uh, i didn't last more than two days i wound up uh <clears throat> I, I just had I chose like the worst situation to try to <laughs> give myself shelter, I like put a, a old crappy tarp like over a hammock in the trees. And I was like, oh, this will be like a tent, you know, but more outdoorsy. And the first thunderstorm that came through like just totally collapsed and broke my ha- my uh, uh, tarp and all my clothes and food and everything just got totally soaked. And the, the land I was trying to camp on turned into like a foot and a half deep mud. And I'm just like up to my knees in mud and everything I own is totally drenched. And I was just like, Oh man. <clears throat> uh, what it but what it did for me was it made me just so grateful for like ha- being in a f- advanced civilization with like a shower and a house and heating right. and everything and and it kind of kind of got hit with this like huge compassion for people in like the third world and stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: who like don't have all those things I'd taken for granted my whole life. Right. And I was like, okay, screw it. even if you know the world might end, like I'm gonna commit myself to making the world a better place and trying to figure this out when when was this this was uh probably right probably like June two thousand and six it's so like end end of the third maybe may or something gotcha yeah so uh so I went back home and apologize to my parents and take a hot shower <laughs> and like, wow, showers are amazing. I can't believe this <laughs> and uh <clears throat> was like, okay, I'm committed how do I save the world and but I was, it was so hard on my mind because as soon as that like euphoria or inspiration wore off, it was like wow there's a huge problems like the Illuminati owns everything and climate change is going to is like how how am I going to convince myself to have enough confidence to try to do anything about any of this, and uh, at the time I was getting really obsessed with the Doors, <clears throat> the band from the sixties. And Jim Morrison, which my parents should not have shown me, his uh, biographical movie by Oliver Stone, because it just really inspired me to do more LSD. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I got really into it and uh, he became kind of a, a role model for me, which I, I hadn't had a role model in a long time. And uh, it hadn't even occurred to me that like a role model was something I wanted or needed, but that's what came up for me. And uh, one day I was on like a ketamine binge. So ketamine's like everybody calls it horse tranquilizers, but it's just generally like a tranquilizer they use in medical situations. But when you take it, it uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like being like as drunk as you could possibly be without getting alcohol poisoning. Um, so like it's very like dissociative and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about it is it gets rid of fear, and so uh, they're actually using it medically now, um, experimentally, to see if you can get rid of phobias. So let's say you're like afraid of spiders they'll like put a spider in your hand while you're on ketamine and you'll be like, Oh, a spider. Like normally you'd be freaking out, but like your fear is just like totally gone. Interesting. And so they can like condition you to get rid of phobias. And so my phobia was like social embarrassment. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I was like skipping school and doing ketamine. And then while I was on ketamine, I, was, I felt just totally invincible. Like all that, uh, paranoia was like totally gone. And I was like, Oh, I should just go to school and like feel invincible. You know? And, And I just go to class like on ketamine and just have this like confidence I never had before. And uh, so while I'm going through this, I'm like, man, it'd be great if I could just make this last, you know, have this total confidence. And I'm like, how could I convince myself to like feel like this all the time? And uh, I was wearing like my shirt with like Jim Morrison on it. And I was looking in the mirror and I was starting to like hallucinate that like my face kind of looked like his or something. And uh, I was like, wait, what if I was Jim Morrison in a past life, you know? just started thinking of the ways that we were similar and i was like wow maybe i like some personality from the past life like came through and now like if i convinced myself that i was him in a past life and he was like became all big and famous and everything then maybe i'll have the confidence to pursue doing something big and uh, really believing i can do it and whether or not it's true at least i'll be confident enough and believe it to actually try And so, like, in this, like, moment on ketamine, I just totally convinced myself, like, Jim Morrison was my past life. That gives me every every reason to feel confident in every situation I could possibly be in. And uh, the weird thing was it, like, kind of stuck. So that, like, went away. And uh, it really did improve my social confidence. But uh, left me with this, like, weird game I had to play in my mind where, like, anytime some, like, doubt that I really was Jim Morrison's reincarnation came up, I had to, like, convince myself uh, why that was stupid. And so I just had to constantly, like, run through that in my mind to keep it going um and so one of the symptoms of psychosis is delusions of grandeur so i think that was like one of my first like early symptoms and uh so i kind of go through the summer i have kind of a wild summer a lot of lsd and uh parties and having a lot more confidence with girls and stuff like that Um, and by the next school year uh things got a little weirder, I had this like weird, uh, LSD trip with two friends where probably half the people listening to this aren't going to believe this, but (laughs) we basically like learned to use telepathy for like the whole duration of the trip. So we were sitting around a table and like literally spent like however long LSD peaks last, it was like six hours or something, not saying a word to each other and just like sending thoughts and images and stuff. And like, yeah, I mean there's like crazy detailed conversation.
0: <clears throat> were were you able to talk about that afterwards and have like,
1: like, yep, wow, yeah, interesting. yeah, yeah. and I, I think what most people assume is like, oh, you must have just been like hallucinating that you weren't talking or something, but uh, I don't think like LSD actually isn't that powerful. like we're on that much LSD right. that like you wouldn't know if you were talking or something. And there actually was moments where like we did say something. there was like, one moment where i was just like "Okay, stop like i said it out loud like it was just getting too weird and i had to like say stop and as soon as i used my words it like turned off the telepathy it was for weird but uh so a really freaking weird experience and kind of uncomfortable because i was basing my full confidence on this whole like delusion of grandeur that once i could see how other people actually saw me was just like totally wiped out it was like they're like thought it was just hilarious that I thought that this was the true that I was like, the reincarnation of Jim Morrison or something stupid like that. And um, so it was a very uncomfortable situation for me. Telepathy is kind of weird, because uh, like, you can't like hide much. It's like, you can't be like, Oh, I'd like to select this thought and only let you see that it was kind of like, Oh, here's my thought. But then here's kind of what's playing in the background at the same time. It's like, you can't really like hide things. So all kinds of like weird, embarrassing stuff was like going around, and it was pretty, it was a pretty uncomfortable situation. Um, and I basically came out of that, and kind of like immediately forgot about how uncomfortable it was, and started just adding it to my delusion of grandeur. Like, oh, now I'm the reincarnation of Jim Morrison, sent here by, you know, uh, aliens in another dimension to like save the planet from the Illuminati, and I'm a psychic, you know. And, <laughs> It just like added another layer to this whole uh, ethos I was trying to create for myself, and I was like bragging to girls and like I'm like yeah I'm like I'm like a psychic and stuff, but I couldn't really do it without the uh, LSD apparently. But I like started to convince myself that I could, and uh, basically wound up, eventually having co- so convinced myself that like I was a psychic that I started to get kind of paranoid about it. <clears throat> so I'd be like high on marijuana and. uh Marijuana can tend to create a lot of paranoia. And so I remember like sitting around my friends or like in the woods or something, and like some deer came by and I was like, whoa, what if I like could talk to a deer? Like if I'm psychic and you don't need language to speak, like maybe I could talk to this deer. And I start like trying to send my thoughts to the deer. But then this like paranoid thought hits me like, wait, what if I'm, when I'm trying to send my thoughts to the deer, all my friends next to me are also getting that broadcast. And then I was like, wait, what if like you can't control the broadcast? What if just like anything you think at any time, like I've like broken something in my brain by like overusing it. And now like at any moment, my thoughts can broadcast to anybody around me. And then I was getting all paranoid. I'm like looking at my friends out of the corner of my eye. Like, are they hearing this thought? Are they hearing that thought? Are they hearing this thought? <clears throat> and I see my friends just like, like not making eye contact with me. And like, it was like, oh, that's proof that they're hearing my thoughts, you know? Because they're like being all awkward and trying not to look at me, you know? And so, like, it didn't matter what anybody did or said. It was just proof that this was the reality. Um, and what got really bad after that was, like, even after the marijuana, like, went away, I started to just get left with this, like, continually building paranoia about this. And then I basically tried to self-medicate with more marijuana to be like, oh, maybe I can fix it if I, like, smoke enough weed or something. And
0: It made it worse,
1: right? It made, made it so much worse. And it was actually while I was, uh, like, I, like, took like a huge dose at one point and uh got so paranoid uh that i thought like i'm like in my house and i thought like all my neighbors around me were just hearing my thoughts and i and i started hearing their voices in my head like get the fuck out of our heads like we don't want to hear fucking thoughts anymore like we don't want to watch you take a shit on the toilet anymore. <laughs> you know <laughs> like just and and the worst part is like as soon as you know if somebody says like don't think of a, a purple elephant right and then as soon as, soon as they say don't think about it, that's all you think about so it's like okay People can hear my thoughts. So don't think of anything like embarrassing or, or don't think of anything like mean that would hurt this person's feel. And it's like suddenly all you could think of was all this negative stuff. And so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so while I'm there, like being cr- was really, really high and uh, really, really paranoid, actually it hit me like, wait, am I schizophrenic? And then that was really scary. Cause I was like, wait, what would be worse if I was a schizophrenic or if I was uncontrollably psychic? I don't actually know which would be worse. <laughs> and so it, it just made it like even worse and uh eventually i kind of basically just stopped going to school so all this happened kind of over the autumn like the first school semester kind of falling into this
0: nick can i can i interrupt real quick yeah please question for you because yeah i don't actually know the answer to this question so i hopefully you do what's the difference between psychosis and schizophrenia
1: i believe uh psychosis is the umbrella term and schizophrenia is like a version of it so the my specific diagnosis was a uh, drug-induced psychosis okay <clears throat> i don't totally know exactly sure it's schizophrenia has a bunch of different forms too sure. and there's a lot of a lot of overlap
2: gotcha yeah
1: it's a good question um anyways uh so i be- I stopped going to school because i was trying not to be around people at that point and that's when my parents figured out something was going on and uh my mom kind of like sat me down one day like why the hell are you going from school right now like what is really going on and i was like i did lsd and i got psychic powers (laughs) now i don't know if i'm crazy or if i'm psychic all the time and she's like schizophrenic schizophrenic and (laughs) takes me to the um to a psychiatrist that i saw as a child for like anxiety stuff and uh he's like oh yeah you're not psychic you're just crazy like here's a prescription for the medication and then he like kind of secretly told my mom like you know you don't want to take him home like he's probably like a suicide risk like take him to the mental hospital and uh I was like totally willing to go to a mental hospital because I I knew I was like really fucked up. So I was like, oh, God, please just take me somewhere. That's where somebody can fix me. And uh, I went up getting prescribed this like kind of over this kind of older version of antipsychotics called risperidone that apparently they don't like give out a lot anymore. Um, So I had like a ton of side effects, but those kicked in a while later. But basically, I go to the mental hospital and they give me some like questionnaire like, have you ever thought of killing yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so, like it's like I thought about what killing myself would, would you would, would ever be a good solution to a problem, you know? And, and they're like, oh, have you ever thought of like how you would do it? And I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess like jumping off a bridge would be like pretty painless way to go, right? And they're like, oh, which bridge? And I was like, I, I don't know, the tallest one near my house. And I, they basically like took that as like evidence that I was planning to kill myself, which I thought was funny because I really wasn't um so i thought the the way of questioning that was kind of funny mm-hmm. but i was like yeah please lock me up like <laughs> let's do it So, uh so they pr- basically bring me in and i stayed there for two weeks and they gave me sedatives and stuff um and what i thought was kind of weird was uh well first of all they did not believe the story about the telepathy thing at all <laughs> and uh but i was like trying to do like experiments with them i was like okay look look look. i know like you think it's not real but like I don't want to think it's real either so let's just do an experiment and like find out you know so like how about i just write a number on a piece of paper and i'll try to send it to you and like if you can guess it like you know five times in a row like i'm probably psychic and if you can't guess it like i'm probably not and i can go home you know and uh but they like wouldn't play that game with me i imagine because when somebody's like really delusional like you just don't want to like buy into their delusion at all um so you just tell them like it's not real and like that's that but uh, it was just kind of odd because I, I really did have like a verified experience of telepathy and uh, and then it was just like the question of like, where does that end? Where does it start, you know? Right. Um, and the weird thing was actually later, actually right before I went to the mental hospital, um, I tried to self-medicate using uh, LSD again and uh, I did it by myself and <laughs> kind of spent the whole time like paranoid, but then I had one moment where Um, I was kind of having the purple elephant thing the whole time. Like all you can think of is the most embarrassing stuff. And now I'm on acid and the embarrassing stuff has taken on like a whole nother level of like caricature. And, uh, but at one point, like finally, like one little sliver of like a sort of positive self image comes through and I was like, Oh my god finally something positive positive. and because i'd like convinced myself like people were seeing my whole trip this whole time i was like well i'll just share this one positive thing because like finally i was <laughs> something like good to share about myself and so i like said this image um <clears throat> and it was like the weirdest images like you would never like just pull this image out of a hat and like guess it you know it was like me as like a lion but like my mane was made out of a sunflower and i was kind of like chinese or something and there was like opium opium clouds behind me. It was this really weird image. Um, But I sent this to my friend, uh, John, uh, who lives like a couple blocks away. And as soon as I sent it, it was like, it looked like like my brain was like a projector, like light shot out of my brain or something. And as soon as it happened, I kind of knew, I was like, oh, I was totally paranoid paranoid up until right now, but this time I actually did send something. And after that, I kind of had a mellower trip because I was like, okay, I kind of actually know the difference between when I'm using the ability and when I'm not. Um, and a few hours later, I went on. We were, at the time, we are using like, MSN Messenger just, like instead of Facebook and stuff. And uh, so I go into MSN, and people like write their profile, like, having a great pizza today or something. And uh, my friend John had changed his profile to stop in for a visit with the uh, sunflower China cat or something. And I was like how could that be a coincidence like that'd be so weird weird yeah so uh anyway so i wind up in the mental hospital i'm like and i'm trying to run this as like an experiment and they're not having it there's here's the drugs and go to sleep or something um and while i'm there my mom brings me uh a couple books my mom was like training to be a yoga teacher at the time or no she was a personal trainer and was starting to get into yoga or something so she brings me a couple books, like a Dalai Lama book on meditation and a book on yoga and stuff. And uh, so while I'm there, I'm kind of like, well, these people aren't really talking to me. Like nobody's giving me like therapy to maybe talk about like the fact that it's my insecurity and low self-esteem that maybe led me to delusions of grandeur and all this paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really interested in dealing with that. They just want to give me these drugs. So like, what can I actually do for myself? Maybe I'll learn to meditate. And uh, so, basically, I spent two weeks there and started reading these books and stuff. And uh, the drugs really did, like, lower the paranoia, so that really helped. Um, And then I went home because I I was starting to feel like I was doing better, so they let me out. And uh, basically, got home, and a friend of mine uh, came and visited, and he was, like, really into Buddhism and things like that. And he finally ran the experiment with me. He's like, well, let's just try it. Like, just try to send me your thoughts. And he, he built a lot of trust with these. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm like a really devout Buddhist. Like, one of the rules is no lying. So I swear to God, I won't lie to you. And so I, I tried as hard as I could to, like, send him something. And he was just like, nothing's coming through, man. I don't know what shocking about. And it was like, that was like the first time I was like, so, so surprised. I'm like, really? Cause it sounds so loud in my head. Like it sounds like this a speaker is attached to my head and I'm like blaring thoughts at you, uh, which is actually one of the weird symptoms in psychosis is your, uh, it starts to blur the line between like your internal experience and your external senses. So like thoughts and everything, like sound like they're coming from outside and things um so that really helped and then he gave me another book on buddhism and it basically uh outlined i believe it was a uh fictional account of the buddha's life so it was like an alternate story like a creative writer had written for it um where the buddha basically just got enlightened in a slightly different way so he meditated uh sitting next to a river and just listening to the sound of the river and that being the focal point for his meditation and uh so I, basically, I saw that and I was like, oh, like, I like rivers. So <laughs> i go to the creek next to my parents' house and probably spent like six months, nine months or something. Um, just every day, like two or three hours going to this river, sitting next to it, putting my mind on it. And uh, <clears throat> basically, meditation is like really hard. <laughs> so I don't recommend like people with psychosis, like try to meditate three hours a day or something. Mm-hmm. I would probably make this like the last thing I did uh, if I did it again. But I just—I was the only thing I knew, so I just kept going. And uh, meditation is kind of hard enough if you're like not psychotic and like your own voice is like constantly going in your head. But when you have like other people's voices like telling you what piece of shit you are like all day, like it's, it's even harder. <laughs> right. But uh, eventually, I got myself to like focus on this river, and uh, it took months. But finally, I got my mind to like totally be quiet. And once it had totally quieted, um, so basically what happens is the conscious mind uh, empties. Normally your conscious mind is constantly full of stuff. There's always some kind of background chatter going. But I finally got to the point where it totally went away, which basically created a vacuum that pulled what was in my subconscious up to the surface. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, it basically confirmed what I thought, which was like the psychosis is probably related to like my insecurities and all this crap I was carrying around. And not just like some chemical imbalance that happened as a fluke of genetics or something, because right. like all, all my friends were doing the same drugs. Like we were all doing the same stupid shit, and it was just me who went crazy, right? And so I think it was more to do with that. Um, and so basically, like all all the shit I hated about myself, all my shame, all my fear, everything, like just came out as like this uh, mask coming off of me, and it was just like this mutant. Like you're never going to fit in. Nobody's going to like you because like you're this piece of shit. And at first it came up and for a split second I identified with it and I was like, just terrified. Like, Oh God, this is the, this is the me. I don't want people to see, but it was really, it was only for a split second. It was like horror. And then it was like the mask came off and I was like looking at it just as that, like just a mask that had been some like character I'd convinced myself I was or something. And kind of saw like, once the mask was gone, I was like, what was under the mask? And it was just like, This young person who was like totally worthy of love and like obviously not perfect, just totally worthy of like love and acceptance, and just realizing I like how hard I'd been on myself. And, um, and I just like totally let it go in that moment and like just basically cried in this river for like 20 minutes straight, just pouring snot (laughs) into this creek. And, uh, and again, it's not like that – like that was like a split second of like a powerful healing, but it's not like the psychosis like went away after that or something. Right. But it kind of gave me enough of a clue like, okay, there is something like psychological going on, and and I kind of saw like more of what I needed to do to continue to fix it. Um, I feel like I've been droning on a long time. but that, That's good, man. That's the, that's the act one.
0: Yeah. I mean like there's – the build up to, to where we are now is so important. I think I love context, right? Yeah. When when I listen to people, I I value that context because how you talk to me and how you tell your story is so like fundamental to your process of healing in general to me, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's how I look at this is that when you learn how to actually tell your story and how you like, how to tell it in a way that creates like, a good ending like it'll it that's part of healing in general, and i I think it's awesome it's It's great to hear like some of the things that I know would terrify people like we're laughing about, right like people yeah. people going through what you've been through, like they're probably looking at it right now and 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 like fearful, angry, upset, like all of those all of those negative emotions. And we're sitting here laughing about like the experiences and understanding like we you can move forward and you can move out of these situations. And some people might be sitting here being like, man, you were crazy. And I'm sitting here like, that's incredible that you are able to look at these situations now and, and move through and guide yourself through. I, I think it's awesome. It's, it's great to listen to you, honestly. Thanks, good. Yeah. So, yeah
2: <clears throat>
0: keep, keep going. Keep telling me. Uh, you know, <laughs> What At this point, we're, we're kind of talking about moving beyond meditation, and I'm guessing you're about to expand your mind pretty well.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, meditation was kind of my first tool. And after that uh, experience of, like, the demon mask coming off, It was actually very hard to meditate, like you'd think I would be like, oh, that was so cool, like, let's do it again, you know, and just keep going layers and layers deeper or something. But I kind of wound up like, I'd go to the river and I'd start to quiet the mind, but then I'd get sort of nervous, like, is like a demon going to come out of me again? (laughs) Like, that was pretty scary. And uh, so it got kind of hard to focus, like I'd get to that point, but then it'd be like, I don't know, and I'd kind of back away from it a little bit. And I think uh, by that point, probably, like, winter was coming. or This is all in, like, Toronto, Canada. And uh, it wasn't being as, like, practical to go to this river. And I believe around the same time, uh, my mom, who's, like, I guess my personal savior, uh, took me to a yoga class. And uh, up until this point, when I thought of yoga, I thought of, like, You know, my mom and a bunch of like middle-aged ladies, like rolling around gently on the floor, you know, and like doing little breathing exercises. And my mom takes me to like a level two, uh, kind of forget the name for it. It's kind of like Ashtanga yoga, I guess. But it's like a very like athletic yoga. It's like joining the circus kind of thing. And uh, level two is like not a good idea in a yoga class if you've never done yoga. But, uh, I was like pretty overweight from the, uh, medication. <clears throat> I was probably like 70 pounds overweight and yoga was like a body weight thing. So <laughs> I'm like shaking the whole time, like holding like really basic postures. Like my quads are like convulsing. And I think I hadn't like really exercised since I was like 14 or something because I basically quit all the sports I liked so I could do drugs instead mm-hmm. I don't advise, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, well, there's like 50-year-old like ladies and stuff next to me, and they're like going through everything so easy, and I'm like shaking and sweating and slipping off my mat. I have so much uh, sweat everywhere. Uh, but I get to the end, and I just couldn't believe how good I felt, like laying in Shavasana, like the relaxation pose. Like my body was just in so much bliss, and my body had just felt like shit, like aside from like being like anxious and afraid and stuff all the time, like – the drugs, the pills I was taking just totally like numbed me. Like they got rid of my sex drive and my, I had an angry leg syndrome if you ever heard of that, or restless leg syndrome, but oh, yeah. I called it an- angry legs. So my legs literally felt angry. Like they just wanted to like kick things all the time. Cause like the <laughs> yeah. blood wasn't getting into them or something. Um. Uh, so laying in this class, it was like the first time I'd felt good in like two years or something and I was like, I can't believe I can feel this good. Like, this is amazing. Um, and I, I laughed and, I could, like, really feel, like, intuitively how, like, all that sweating and everything had really, like, detoxed me, <clears throat> and my mind just felt so clear, And know, so I was just basically, like, instantly hooked and basically switched from, like, meditation more to that, like, physical practice. <clears throat> um, and what I kind of really liked about it was, like, the meditation, like, really did take, like, eight months of hard work every day to get, like, one day of benefit for me at the time like nowadays i kind of know like how to meditate in a way like i get the benefit right away yeah. but at the time this like kind of militaristic like i'm going to focus my mind on this thing focus 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 like did not produce any benefit in the short run until like it created like an exorcism basically yeah. but yoga was just like oh my first time and i'm like i feel amazing and this huge detox and i got really hooked right away and um got a bunch of dvds and stuff and just started practicing a lot at home <clears throat> And uh, basically over the next couple of years, it like totally uh, changed my life. Um, Like really helping me uh, learn to relax into the psychotic experience. And uh, I think that was one of the most important things I learned because I I actually really think it is the case as uh, Joseph Campbell says, like the psychotic drowns in the same water, the shaman swims. And I feel like I like really found that to be true for myself. Because if I got into this paranoid state, I could, If after learning yoga and everything, like learning to relax and let go, things like that, learning to like get into my body and kind of out of my head, I basically found that I could actually let go into the experience as that paranoia was cropping up and uh, would basically have like a pleasant mystical experience. Like uh, all this like religious imagery would just start forming in front of me and so like instead of my creative mind forming like voices to tell me like bullshit about myself Mm -hmm. it formed like beautiful visions and like ecstatic feelings through my body if you believe in this kind of thing like chakras opening and things like that um so yeah yoga was like amazing for that just helping me able to relax into those experiences and so as they kind of come up i could it'd be like ah this is gonna be crazy and then but if i just let go it'd be positive and that was when I started to feel like the confidence like okay like I think I could actually get off the medication because even if I have like these quote-unquote psychotic experiences I can actually just like ride them right mm-hmm. <clears throat> so started talking to my psychiatrist about weaning off the pills and they were helping me get off another funny thing like even after after the mental hospital I got put with this program where you kind of see a psychiatrist like once a month, and. uh it was really the same as like just 100% like chemistry. It was like, okay, how's your symptoms? Like, let's weigh you, make sure you're not getting too fat on the medication. Um, but it was never like, let's talk about like your childhood or like, yeah. let's like, let's dive into like what kind of traumas you might have that have like created all this craziness in you. Um, it was just kind of this like monitoring program. Which I found really weird. It's like, nobody even wants to ask if I like need to talk to somebody like, what's wrong with right. you guys? But, uh Anyway, so yeah, they helped me to wean off and uh, kept doing yoga. And what was kind of crappy was like, once the pills were gone, I still had like 90% of the side effects left over. So I had like cystic acne over like my whole upper body. Um, I was just like, I was like bleeding through every shirt. Like I was just covered in scabs because these pimples were so big and bloody and stuff. Um, I had eczema all over my head and face. Um, I like stopped being able to digest like whole lot of foods like i couldn't eat dairy anymore or wheat and i I didn't really know that at the time i just knew my digestion was like really whack my liver was so uh inflamed or congested or something that like doing deep breathing exercises actually hurt my liver because my diaphragm would like press on it and it was so tender like breathing hurt my liver and that those are all side effects of the medications that you were on it's either the medication and or uh, how hungry the medication makes you. So you just yeah. kind of eat, eat all the time.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, which I actually think is part of how it works. Cause like food is like food kind of lowers your cortisol and like stress hormones and like, is very like grounding. Um, but yeah, those meds, they make you so hungry that, and I didn't know like what healthy food was. So I was just eating like literally like McDonald's for breakfast, yeah. KFC for lunch, another takeout for dinner, candy and pop and crap all day. And then like wondering why I have like eczema and stuff. Right. <clears throat> But, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So I still had all these side effects left over. Um, also like mental side effects. So like I had brain fog, like half the day, like literally my brain, like feeling like it was pressing against the sides of my skull with like inflammation or something. And like, Mm -hmm. basically couldn't think straight, but also couldn't think broadly. It was very weird. It was like, once I got stuck on thinking about something, I'll just be like incredibly like angry and narrow minded for like long, long periods of time. And like, it's just like my head was just stuck or something. Um, the only thing that really went away was, uh, the weight gain. Like I kind of dropped the weight as soon as the pills went away. <clears throat> but, uh, a lot of like sexual problems, like just not, you know, having great sexual libido and things like that, uh, kind of got a little better, but like stayed to quite quite an extent. So, uh, I'm still like doing yoga at the time. And I'm like, I really believe in like yoga is like this healing thing, but like, obviously something else needs to shift. Cause I'm still like so sick. mm mm-hmm and i think at the time like i reconnected with an old friend who was like just like oh you should try like the alkaline diet or something and i was like what the heck's the alkaline diet and why would that matter And it like hadn't occurred to me until that moment like four years after the psychosis that like the food you eat might have like some relationship to how healthy or unhealthy you are right which is like so weird like my mom was like a personal trainer and stuff and this never occurred to me but um yeah, so I looked up this alkaline diet, and there's all this like like raw vegetables and stuff like that. And I was making all these like green smoothies and stuff. And uh, I was like really militant about it. like everything I ever tried to fix myself. I was always like, I'm going all the fucking way. Like we're doing this, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> So I got like that with like raw alkaline foods and I don't think it made anything better. It seems like it was just incredibly hard to digest. It's like eating grass all day or something. Right. Um, Probably helped some stuff, but definitely wasn't good for me because I had like really compromised digestion. So I tried that for a while. And then because I was into the yoga world, like everybody's talking about, Oh, vegetarianism, like, that's like the way to go. It's like, you know, better, you know, you gotta, you're not supposed to eat cows and stuff. And so I got into vegetarianism for a while and Again, didn't really seem to make anything better, but I was like militant about it. And I'm like trying to tell everyone I know, like you gotta be a vegan, it's the best diet, it's the best for you, even though I'm seeing like zero benefits from it. I'm like <laughs> telling everyone else it's the best diet and they have to do it. Um, yeah, and so around that time, uh, it was like 2012 or something, um, I wind up uh, doing a yoga teacher training. <clears throat> and I think uh, I was experimenting with like veganism at the time. And probably there's some like protein deficiency or something. And my joints like started falling apart from the yoga practice. Um, and I basically got to the point where like, I basically couldn't do yoga without being in like immense pain in like all my tendons and everything. Like every, all the connective tissues were just overstretched and stuff. And, uh, kind of had to take a break from yoga and around the same, same time. I was like, uh, my job, I was like cleaning a gym or something. And there was like an acupuncturist slash martial arts teacher who worked there. And he thought I would like this thing called Qigong, which was spelled with a Q. And I thought it was Qigong, but it's Qigong. And uh, so he sent me like a little YouTube video of this teacher named Lee Holden. He like lives out in California. And I tried it. It was like the seven-minute routine of basically just moving slowly while breathing deeply and kind of linking the two together. And uh, it was so simple compared to yoga. Like yoga's got this like weird dual uh, benefit where you're like trying to get a six pack at the same time as like trying to like heal a bunch of trauma and stuff. And that was like really motivating to like get you to do it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to get like ripped while I get enlightened, you know. Um, but eventually it like took a toll on my body, I guess, I think probably combined with the vegan diet. <clears throat> didn't work super well for me. Um, so she gone with like kind of the same principle of like, oh, you're like moving in heart, uh, unison with your breath, but there wasn't this like super emphasis on stretching and strengthening and all that kind of stuff. It was more like, direct like, here, you're going to modulate your nervous system. And that's like the thing we're doing. Um, and I was just amazed. Like I just did this like one seven minute YouTube video. And like after like, I think I've been like doing yoga and stuff for like four years. And I was like, wow, I think I feel like more relaxed and centered and calm than I felt in this like entire four years of doing like hour and a half yoga and meditation sessions and stuff. So I was just kind of blown away right away and uh, went to bed. And I think it was actually the same night I uh, had this like wart on my foot that had been there for like two years or something. And it was this like really deep, uh, gross wart. And I went to the doctor, they cut it off, they froze it off. They, uh, I did the duct tape, I did the cream, like nothing was making it go away. And this night after doing Qigong for the first time, I'm kind of laying there and I'm like, well, what if I just like sent this like weird, like blissful feeling to that wart on my foot? And so I just kind of like kept bringing my attention to my foot and like directed this thing we call chi, which is basically just like your feeling in your body. It's kind mm-hmm. of a weird term. You we basically like just kept directing it to my foot until my foot was like buzzing with this like blissful feeling. And I woke up the next morning and this wart that was like half an inch deep into the ball of my foot and like an inch or two across was like not only gone, but so gone that it looked like it had never been there. It was like totally brand new skin on my foot. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, how did that happen? Years later, uh, reading the work by this guy, um, Dr. Andrew Weil, Andrew Weil, Andrew Weil, kind of popular in the health space. He basically says that uh, like warts are like one of the top illnesses that are most likely to go away from mind-body interventions, like using placebo or awareness or things like that to make them go away.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: I have no idea why. But, uh, so I, so I can imagine I was like pretty hooked on Qigong right away and ordered all this guy, Lee Holden, all his DVDs and stuff, started teaching myself. And, um, got also got kind of hooked because it's like Qigong comes from Taoism, which is this philosophy, Chinese philosophy that's all about like harmony with nature and things like that. Yep. And I'd always been like a big nature freak and I wanted to be Steve Irwin when I was a kid and, uh, <laughs> catch, catch, catch snakes on TV for a living. <clears throat> so I got really into that part and, um. Uh, I eventually got like an appointment with Lee uh, on Skype and he basically like taught me some like personalized Qigong to uh, largely deal with just like how like sensitive I was to others and their perceptions and things like that. And taught me like really this weird thing where like you're doing the Qigong and you build uh, what we call the Wei chi or guardian energy, which is, it's kind of like the same idea as your aura. It just sounds cooler, guardian energy, you know, sure. has yeah. <laughs> less new agey. <clears throat> but uh, I was doing this with him over Skype, and the weird thing about practicing with, like, a true Qigong master is, like, you feel, like, way more Qi when you're doing it with them. So we're doing, and this is, like, over Skype. We're, like, on opposite sides of the continent, and uh, he ultimately me do these exercises, put the Qi in your uh, Qi field, and then this weird one where you, like, hold your hands against it, like you're holding it rough hugging a big ball against your chest and you like squeeze on the chi field and basically it felt like there was like a magnet between my chest and my hands <clears throat> where this like um like if you had two north magnets and you try to push them together but right. they like push each other apart i could, like literally feel that around my body and it just started to feel like i was just like encased in this field that would just kind of keep me protected <clears throat> which normally sounds like a placebo-y kind of thing but the weird part was like after I wasn't practicing live with this guy on Skype and started doing this on my own, I didn't feel this thing at all (laughs) until I like moved to California to study with him and I'm doing Qigong with him. And then all of a sudden, just like in his class, like not even one-on-one or anything, all of a sudden I start to feel this crazy magnetic field around myself all the time again. So it's a very weird thing, Qigong, but it really did help like I totally got this sense that like, I didn't need to be so involved with other people's perceptions and everything. Maybe there's some kind of placebo aspect to that, but I found it very helpful. So I decided to try to become a Qigong teacher and uh, packed up my stuff and moved to Santa Cruz, California in 2014 to uh, learn Qigong with this guy. And my plan was just to like, you know, get a job as like a doing landscaping or some crap and that, that I was already doing in Toronto. Uh, which isn't very super great for your chi to like do manual labor all day because you, you lose <laughs> you, you lose up a lot of your chi and you don't have a lot for your qigong, right? But uh, that was my plan just go to California, get whatever work I could, and just study with this guy. Um, but I really lucked out because when I moved there, his assistant was moving to New York like a week later, and he, he was like, Oh, you want to be my assistant, and he, I'll just you can kind of like uh, intern with me and learn qigong and wow. I even offered, I was like, oh, well, what if, what if uh, you make that part of my payment and I'll just like grab a sleeping bag, sleep in the back of the Qigong studio and uh, you can just give me enough money to eat and just teach me Qigong. And so I wound up like working for him and it was a really interesting time because uh, his uh, wife had just, I think him, him and his wife had gotten divorced and he was having a lot of money going to alimony and child support and lawyers and stuff. And so he didn't have a lot of money to like hire super professional, like web people, right? Um, but here was this like 24 year old kid who's like reasonably, you know, good with social media and stuff like that. And I was just like, yeah, I can do anything. And, but basically, uh, taught myself like how to do film and things like that. And, uh, started helping him convert his business more to online. Cause up till then he'd been on PBS. He was like the famous, like sure. PBS Qigong guy and all the like old ladies at home doing Qigong with him on TV. Um, but PBS was kind of closing down their like fitness programs. So he was trying to go online. So I spent like uh, three and a half years uh, helping him with that and following him around. He was also an acupuncturist, so I was following him around in the clinic and he was teaching me body work and stuff like that. And kind of one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And uh, at the same time, I kept uh, learning about nutrition and got into other, tried all kinds of other diets like paleo and keto and all those kind of things and kind of found like the, the double-edged sword to kind of most of them. Um, but kind of slowly over time was healing. A big part of it was, uh, working with some Chinese herbalists who really helped me with the skin and brain stuff. And, but I spent a lot of time researching for myself stuff. And, uh, yeah, I guess after three and a half years working for him, I, I like really like the psychosis stuff was so in the past and I was really just dealing with, uh, just some, some, just some lingering side effects from medication and bad diet and everything I'd done <clears throat> for years before that. So I felt like I I was like mostly recovered, like almost to the point of being as healthy as like an ordinary person, <clears throat> which was like about as good as I was hoping for. And so uh, at the time I'd been trying to uh, make money teaching Qigong, but like nowhere was interested because uh, they didn't know what it was or why anybody would pay for it. But finally, this like really like primo retreat center opened up in the mountains around Santa Cruz and they whole they were like you know it was like uh, mindfulness and yoga and all that kind of stuff but like with like crazy like multi-million dollar buildings like all modern with like waterfalls everywhere mm-hmm. so that like google and twitter and all those silicon valley people would run their retreats and everything there so they were opening up <clears throat> and uh i happened to open the newspaper on the day of their job fair and uh i was like looking for movement teachers and i was like whoa that That doesn't just say yoga let me let me go see what the if they want something more than a yoga teacher they were stoked to have some qigong so they hired me and uh once they were on my resume like all the other yoga studios that had said no up until that point were all of a sudden like oh my god you teach at the multiversity like come teach here i don't know what qigong is but come do it and uh, basically overnight like within a month i went from zero qigong classes a week to like a dozen qigong classes a week getting paid and yeah. But i really quickly had to find a replacement for myself to work for my teacher and uh i guess it's been like four five years four years since then or something and uh just been doing that full time uh mostly keeping my nutrition stuff to myself because it has seemed like such a esoteric thing <clears throat> and there's been several times where, like for instance when i was vegan or keto where i got some like initial benefits that then kind of turned into kind of more side effects than benefits. Sure. But because of those initial benefits, I became like a zealot, like immediately like, oh, I tried this new diet. And it was like the best thing. And obviously this is what's the optimal diet for human functioning. You know, right. I was, I was just trying to tell everybody to do it. So I kind of like slowed down a little after a couple of those experiences. And I was like, okay, well, diet seems kind of very personal. And I feel like it's going to take me a while to be able to know what to tell anybody that will not just produce more negative than positive. Right. <clears throat> so I really focused on Qigong because that was, like, a really simple thing for me, like, to help people. And uh, eventually the pandemic hit, and I switched everything over to YouTube mostly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I uh, was just amazed, like, uh, once the, the YouTube started growing, all the weird things in the comments that people were like, oh, my God, <laughs> this helped my diverticulitis. Oh, my God, this helped my bipolar. This helped, like, all just, like, the craziest things. Like, I'm not constipated anymore thanks to Qigong. I'm like, it does that? "Like <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's so, great yeah.
1: So yeah, uh, yeah. I spent the last year working on YouTube. Just started my uh, first qigong teacher training, which has been all online. So I've been training other people to teach it, <clears throat> which has been a lot of fun. And uh, then recently dove into TikTok to see what was going on there, and, uh, and accidentally, accidentally had enormous <laughs> success.
0: Um, yep. it's that. It could be that quick. TikTok, TikTok is crazy, and it, it's still crazy.
1: Yeah it's it's, a, it's the frontier effect right because not everybody's kind of certain about whether they got want to get on there so if you're kind of the early adopter right there's a lot of opportunity absolutely well
0: i mean it it it's a, exactly where i found you right like i saw yeah. your, i saw your video that's still blowing up right now i think it, what it's over a half million right now half million views. yeah it's like
1: five hundred and twenty thousand yeah
0: and it's yeah it'll keep going i think You know, I've, I've had quite a few videos do that. And they'll like three weeks later, you'll, you'll see recycling and it'll go up another hundred thousand or something like that. It's so crazy. Um, But here's, here's a couple questions that I have. Well, I'll I'll just start with one at a time, but with, you know, in that story, you, you were talking about how these mental institutions and the people working with them and working with you never really addressed any of the problems per se they addressed the results of the problems which were Mm -hmm. the obvious psychosis and and the i guess the almost the aesthetic problems is that they had to manage you but yeah was there at any point any time where they went into your past and talked about these things that you've ever that you've been through
1: no i think as soon as they would hear me say like Oh yeah, I had this experience where I used telepathy. There's like, well, no point in talking to him about his past or something. Because <laughs> obviously he just has a bunch of like imaginary memories or something. So I probably should have brought my friends who experienced it with me who are sane. I'd <laughs> be like, look, ask ask these guys, you know? Well, you should
0: obviously start a podcast with them because they sound awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they are interesting dudes. Actually one of them's like a philosophy major now. So For sure. That would that would be interesting.
0: Well, what what are your thoughts on on let's like modern day the modern day understanding of mental health what are your thoughts on it how do you feel about it
1: i think uh it's overall there's like a very cynical outlook that mental health problems are like just like kind of everything medicine has been where it's kind of all goes back to the genetics it's like oh you had a genetic predisposition to be this or that and Maybe you had some experience that triggered it, but now that it's here, like, let's not worry about like healing your past trauma or like fixing your fast food diet or anything like that, or just managing your stress a little bit. It's like, let's just like manage the mental illness with a chemical, you know, like we're, we're not, we're never going to heal it. You know, it's, it's never about he- actually healing something at the root. It's always just like, Oh, here's something to manage it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> it's like seems so obvious that it's just about the financial incentives it's like well yeah. you make so much more money managing someone's illness for a lifetime than spending a few months like healing them right. um and then the way you could manage or fix it like you're not going to make money like telling them to meditate 10 minutes a day or or eat you know vegetables or something right you're going to make money on a on a chemical that you invented that you can patent right and i'm sure this a news to anybody but it's kind of a huge uh problem with the industry it seems like
0: so what what does healing what is healing to you like how would you i mean obviously we can define it here but like for you and for what you've seen in in your lifetime what does healing really look like to you and it can be subjective i don't it doesn't have to be an objective thing
2: yeah
1: um well, we can get into some real gray areas with healing. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of uh, East Eastern philosophy, and the sort of <clears throat> Buddhist idea is that, like, the basic human nature, like, it's a sickness to begin with, right? <laughs> like, the whole <laughs> process of B- Buddhism is, like, healing from human nature.
2: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So, like, to go from, like, mental illness to what we would consider normal would be, like, going from very sick to just kind of sick in, like, Buddhist terms. Right. So it's not like you get to some point where like, all of a sudden, like, oh, you don't have, like, you never get angry and you never, you're never afraid. You're never anxious. You never like suffer from, you know, cognitive biases and delusions that make you think about things in a unproductive way. Like everybody's going to have that, even if you're like healed, quote, unquote. Right. right. <clears throat> but there's definitely like gradations of like how, uh, <laughs> like sick you can be. Right. So. You know, when I posted that video, uh, I think a lot of people, I got a lot of, not a lot, but like maybe 10% of the comments were like kind of angry, like, oh, you're telling people to like get off their medication or something. And I was like, well, I can see why you'd interpret it that way, but that really wasn't what I was trying to say. But people, one of the most uh, commented on comments, people like arguing with each other over one comment, was somebody who was like, "Uh, yeah, that's not how mental illness works. It's a chemical imbalance, you know? Yeah like you can, that's like saying you can fix diabetes with tai chi and i was like can you fix diabetes with tai chi wait no but <laughs> the point is like everything about our experience is technically mediated by chemistry right like it doesn't matter if you're the buddha becoming enlightened like you shifted your brain chemistry with meditation right you probably released a bunch of dmt or something and you've dissolved all boundaries between phenomena <clears throat> or um if you're having an orgasm, like chemical change. You didn't have the orgasm because you took a pill that directly changed your brain chemistry. Right. It happened because you had an experience, right? When you eat food, right? Your food literally becomes your brain and your brain chemistry. So it's not like any of this stuff is like separate from brain chemistry. Right. And taking specific like neurochemical pills is the only way to change your brain chemistry, right? So, um... <clears throat> I think when it comes to like healing the brain, like there's so many ways you could look at it. Like you can have a spiritual healing that comes from, you know, facing a fear or something. You can heal, uh, like literally lower the inflammation in your brain. If you've had like a TBI and there's just inflammation all over damaging your brain, like you can use your diet and stuff and lower the inflammation. There's all kinds of ways that healing can happen from like the molecular to the spiritual and all kinds of stuff in between. And usually they're like both happening at the same time, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah i think i think the the concept of chemical imbalance is is overused and misunderstood like yeah realistically you know that, that that's my experience i'm certainly not a doctor nor have i yeah. had any kind of experience with medications myself um i probably the complete opposite end of the spectrum i've never done drugs other than like the prescribed medication for my knee surgeries right yeah um, I've never drank alcohol. I've never done tobacco. just wow. never done that stuff. Right. Like I had a father that committed suicide at six years old and he was all of those things. Wow. So that was a pretty powerful experience to say, Hey, Dylan, you probably shouldn't do those things. You don't want yeah. to end up like that. So that's where, where my, my experience lies. Now I work with a lot of people that have gone through, you know, addictions and like the, people, people tell me all the time, like, you know, mental illness is a chemical imbalance. So, you know, but what does that even mean? Like one, where does that, you don't just come out of the womb being chemically imbalanced, right? More often than not, mm-hmm. you, you experience trauma is, is one of the things that I see is like when I, people that come to me, yeah, sure. They may have a chemical imbalance and they may want to commit suicide or they have flashbacks or PTSD or depression but usually when we, when we get down to business, those chemical imbalances or the PTSD or the suicide and, you know, all of these things are effects or results of the problems of how people treat each other. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk chemical imbalance, how people treat each other is the chemical imbalance creator. Like if, if, you know, I love, I don't know if you've ever heard of Peter Levine. I think you would really like him. That was a mine, but I can't recall. Somatic experiencing with uh, trauma. Mm. I really recommend you look into his books. Like I, I sure. think I think they would really speak to you. But like, you know, such a huge uh, such a huge factor in our growth is our mother because mm. our mother has the most, you know, the the closest connection to us, you know, when when we are we when we are being raised. Um, our mother is is the creator of all of our experiences in the initial mm-hmm. phases of our life. And yeah. if those experiences are not good, you see you see changes within babies. And if if there's distress in a baby, that's basically it's it's basically being abused as an adult, right? And like mm-hmm. that there is a physical change that happens. Um because trauma is relative, like trauma is relative to a baby trauma is relative to uh, an adult, whatever happens, happens. Um, and what I see the most is that where I think, and again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, it's just a theory, right?
1: I have to throw that out all the time too. Right. No right.
0: Theory. Like, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but mm-hmm. I see a lot of stuff. Um, and, and what I think is chemical imbalances really start with communication like i think and and Mm -hmm. because humans have mirror neurons and as a kid your your mirror neurons are overactive they're they're seeing everything in your world and you're learning as fast as you can you're mimicking the things that happen you know what your parents do how they respond to each other and if your mirror neurons are picking up negativity right you know like auras and and energies Mm -hmm. and cheese and you're picking up this negativity.
1: I definitely know cheese.
0: Right, chi. Is it chi? I don't. Is there a plural for chi? Uh,
1: not really, but only because there's. You wouldn't add an S, and it's a Chinese word, right? So you wouldn't add an S. Makes but sense. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's American ignorance,
0: right here. <laughs> but uh, like, I don't even know where I was. Where Where was I going with that?
1: Uh, mirror neurons.
0: Yeah, like like when you when you start picking up that negativity, like you're developing. A, a foundation of who you're going to become. Yeah. And if, if that, that's where you're, you're going to build a chemical imbalance. And how do you, how do you fight that with, with more chemicals, you know, comparative to trying to actually have a discussion about it and helping, helping people understand their bodies, which is what Peter Levine really does with somatic experiencing um, along with just like, hyper-focused perspective building right which i think is a lot of what yoga can do and a lot of what what um is it qigong Mm -hmm. i mean
1: that's a cheese gong thank you
0: (laughs) but i mean like those things can can develop the the mindset of understanding both your connection to your body and your connection to other people because we are a species that is that is like societal driven or I shouldn't even say societal driven but like we need other people we we gather chemicals and and hormones from other people and that's part of our survival you know yeah i don't know does that make it, does that make any sense Does that make any sense
1: <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i think a lot of that narrow-mindedness about the chemical imbalance thing um you probably get rid of just by like showing them any other culture <laughs> right that's like how many cultures were there that used pharmaceuticals to change brain chemistry when you had a mental illness before like i think zero right. unless you count herbs and stuff right but even though even herbal therapy like all the old herbal traditions they weren't like Oh here's white willow bark and it has salicylic acid and it does this to your you know prostaglandins Yeah, you know, they weren't thinking about it like that at all they, like they really thought about like its effect on your spirit like mm-hmm. that was that was the crux of um, especially chinese medicine like they would say like the best doctor doesn't work on the body they work on the spirit and so they'd look at like how does this herb affect like your mood and your spiritual outlook and your temperament and stuff and the the effects kind of wash down to the body from there to a large degree Um, but yeah, it's like pharmaceuticals are literally like a hundred years old and there's all kinds of therapies you can find in the past. Like you'd go to a shaman and they would put you into a trance and there'd be some like archetype you hadn't been dealing with in yourself. And they would help you like confront that archetype. They'd usually do it in a, you know, a a more metaphorical way. Like it's literally a demon. That's like another spirit and you're dealing with that. Right. But you can kind of look at it more from a Jungian psychology, like oh, it's like an archetype. It's like a part of yourself you haven't integrated, and things like that. Yep. But um, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's that's like uh, like I, I think is psilocybin a psychedelic?
1: Yeah, that's the active ingredient in mushrooms. Yeah, I mean that
0: like that's mushrooms have been such a prominent like herbal medicine for for so long but it's it's not a like if we really think about it it's not a it's not really a focus of medicine now and yeah that, that's always you mean, you mean, you mean mushrooms
1: that. in general or psilocybin mushrooms
0: well i mean all mushrooms but most like psilocybin has been has yeah. been, there's a lot of research being done now on psilocybin mm-hmm. being a uh, not necessarily a cure but something that can help support and, and work, help people work through PTSD right now.
1: Yep. I think one one thing I've heard a lot about that sort of thing is, uh, you can have the experience on the trip and it like shows you some great real revelation and, uh, totally changes your life, Mm -hmm. but it might also show you like some kind of habit you actually need to implement in your life in order to maintain that level of health. <clears throat> and if you kind of don't pick up that habit you kind of what i've heard is you just kind of slide back to baseline
0: gotcha
1: and that kind of goes with my experience too i only had like two years as was like a teenager where i was using that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but i would have like some great releve- revelation be like oh my god like this is how i have to live my life and then kind of like pretty quickly back to like the ordinary um yeah so like really common one is people will do it and be like oh my god i, I just i have to meditate every day like That's what's going to, that's, what's going to maintain this. Or I have to talk to my father and like, forgive him or something. And if you don't do it, it like, it's like the trip was just kind of useless. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: Interesting. It's all very interesting. I don't, I don't have enough experience in understanding, you know, the, the, not necessarily, I guess the pharmaceutical medication, but also like herbal medicine side of things. Yeah. It's not something that I've really dived into it's something that I see the effects of, right. I I see people coming to me um, consistently talking about like, I've been uh, over medicated, you know, I've been, I, I never, there was never any healing that, that was involved with my medications. Mm. Um, It was always something that, that held me down more than it helped me. Mm. Um, And I always see, you know, just therapy in general, just not being a, a beneficial thing for a lot of people. It doesn't mean yeah. it's not beneficial for people. It's just the people that come to me. It mm-hmm. was not beneficial. Mm. Now, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on the mental, I guess the mental health as a business kind of thing of all of it, not necessarily the institution of medication, but like therapy in general, therapists, psychologists, psycho psychotherapists. What do you think about all of it?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I'm still to this day surprised that I wasn't assigned a psychotherapist or some kind of talk therapy as part of the thing. I think partly maybe it was because, um, I was diagnosed as like drug induced psychosis, so to them it's like, oh, this has nothing to do with trauma. It's like entirely biochemical. Like you did too much acid and now you're crazy, but it really does surprise me. But I I do feel like there is a lot of limitations to talk therapy. I think just like, I mean, I think talk therapy is useful, but I mean, just like anything else, like Qigong, very good. Improves your overall health, like improves a lot of things. There's some things that are going to be very predictable. Like you're for the most, like 90% of people are going to find like chronic pain decrease or chronic stress decrease, but it's not like, oh, I have cancer. I heard like some people have cured their Qigong with cancer. So Qigong is like hundred percent going to cure me. It's like, you might be in like that 30% of people or something that like qigong was like the thing that made the difference in your cancer
2: mm-hmm.
1: and for most other people it's probably going to be like oh qigong was like probably a helpful tool that was like smart to include in your therapy but if it was the only thing you did you probably would have died right yeah um and i think probably talk therapy is like that like it definitely has its uses um but often and sometimes there's like some huge breakthrough and it's like talk therapy that was the thing that set things right,
2: right.
1: and other times it's like if your only tools were like pharmaceuticals and talk therapy, like you
2: would yeah.
1: be like pretty out of luck, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I think uh, also I, I assume, I think you probably work with a lot of guys, right? Do you do a lot with like veterans and stuff? Honestly, not really. A oh, okay. Of, I thought that was your whole brain. Uh, I.
0: It's funny because I stepped into all of this expecting it to be. Um, and you know, with the military, I I do, I do speak in front of different units nowadays with, uh, you know, talking about suicide and talking about, um, you know, what I've been through, but my, my personal business, um, my mental health coaching is probably 85 to 90% females. Oh, wow. It's, it's mostly women who have been through some kind of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um or even childhood experiences that were you know that were traumatic um you know a a lot of what i've seen has been uh sexual nature and it's you know it's completely different than what i expected to to see but yeah yeah that's that's where i'm at that's i i see far more women than
1: i do men that's really interesting i wonder if part of that is maybe because of your military background, like you, you represent like a masculine figure, but that masculinity with like a softness and compassion that right. maybe if, if they'd had like really negative experiences with males, like, yeah. it's like, oh my God, a healthy male figure, you know, like, right. <laughs> you're not a pansy, but you're not like, <laughs> right, you know, a brute either. Absolutely. That's really interesting that's that kind of modulates what i was going to say i was going to say like probably there's like a big gap in uh the like mental health world where like if you're a male with like mental health problems you're like here's your female psychiatrist and your female therapist and you're supposed to tell them about like your sexual problems and like stuff like that and it's like um that's probably very useful in some situations maybe in the opposite case where like maybe they've had very negative experiences with some like horrible mother or something and now there's like a good female role model or something but i feel like there's like a lot of need for the other way around yeah and i I think this is maybe especially true for males where like males like desperately need male role models and like male oh. mentor figures
2: Absolutely. and
1: when i look back at like me in high school it's like oh my god if i had just had a mentor i feel like that would have solved like 95 percent of my problems like right
0: well i mean like look at <clears throat> look at how um i mean look at social media right now like people like Jordan Peterson and yeah. David Goggins and you know Jocko Jocko Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. right like these <clears throat> each of them in their own way is is a mentor to these guys um, yeah it's what's interesting to me is is like how people are being shown these guys right like I have, yeah. I have nothing again like I, nothing against like David Goggins and Jocko like they're they're awesome guys but they're both like Navy SEALs. Like they're both on the literal pinnacle of like warrior mindset guys. Like 99% of the guys out there are not going to become Jocko and David Goggins. I shouldn't even say 99%. It's more like 99.9%. Yeah, And it's not exactly an effective way of looking at Your life like all of these guys follow these two and and they're so focused on becoming like i gotta wake up at 4 a.m and and just be a hammer right yeah maybe you're not a hammer like yeah maybe you're more like a scythe or a uh, like i don't know a shovel like (laughs) you've got to find like i think i think what what the world really kind of needs is Mm -hmm. is guys to step outside of this this masculine box that they think they have to be in Mm. and and step in like i've got to be a warrior i've got to be a u.s navy SEAL or 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 special forces or a ranger or something like that i've got to have this hard mindset i think Mm -hmm. you have to have something that is capable of being hard you also have to have the opposing opposite the softness and yeah. ability to respect people's boundaries, exactly, yin and yang. Like, yeah. it's, it's simple. Like, you have to be able to play both worlds because you're not just going to talk yeah. to Jocko and David Goggins all day. Like, yeah. You're going to talk to women. How do you talk to women? Because that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty it. big societal problem right now. Yeah. You know? And that's, that, like, I think we need more guys like you and me need to be stepping out on social media and saying, like, you don't have to be like David. And you don't have to be like Jocko. They're great guys. There's nothing wrong with them. They speak a great message. Mm-hmm. But not all of their message is going to apply to yep. how you live your life.
2: It's no? just like a, med- a
1: medicine, right? Like <clears throat> medicine in the correct dose for the correct person, right? Very yep. effective. But you give it to someone else and it's like poison for them, right? right. Um, so, like, if you thought about it in Chinese medicine, they would say, like, you know, if you have excess yang, right? You're so in your masculine, active, disciplined, vigilant self that you ignored your yin, right? Then giving like an herb or something that increases the yang further is gonna be poison, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you obviously need something to strengthen your yin, your ability to just soften, relax, listen, receive, things like that. Right. So I definitely think they're a medicine for a lot of guys. I've found them helpful at times, you know, they, right. sometimes they're the exact right message I need to hear. Absolutely. And sometimes it's like, I don't know if more push-ups are gonna get me where <laughs> right. I'll try to go, you know, so. But right. we actually have a saying in Qigong, I'm gonna butcher this because this won't be word for word, but basically, like it's like you you, you need the hard to attain the soft, yes. like um, because a lot of people they get into Taoism, uh, which is where Qigong comes from, and they immediately gravitate to the like, oh, it's the art of effortless power, and you become like water, you go with the flow, you're soft. There's not even like really like a lot of rules of morality in Taoism. It's sort of like oh, if you just cultivate a good heart, like morality is just gonna spontaneously come out of you you're like you don't need rules or a code to live by right and those are all like super beautiful ideas but like just because like you read them in like the dao to ching like the Taoist text once like doesn't mean you're gonna like immediately be able to like express them in your life in any profound way right so like the way you get there is gonna take like some discipline right you're gonna have to train your qigong train your meditation like actually learn to use softness in a way that helps you to be more effective and they say uh I think, yeah, they say uh, t- when you have a beginner student, you say, oh, we're going to take your iron bar and grind it into a fine needle. You know, we're like, we're going to put you through this process of this grind. <clears throat> we're just going to train this thing like over and over again until you're the fine needle. And it's like at that point, like the yang transforms into yin, right? Right. So you always need both, I think. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And i <clears> like, Jocko's book is – and. Well, Jocko's book is in my top ten books. Like on my website, it's one of my top ten books. Oh nice. I think it's I think it's an incredible book, you know, and I think Jocko's perspective is incredible.
1: But But you you see looking at people implementing it, they like kinda It's not everything. They, they don't they don't take it with a grain of salt, they just take it all the way. I think yeah. the same with like Jordan Peterson. Like if you really right. listen to him, he gives like a pretty nuanced message. Yep. But then like this is what happens with every movement like you have some like figure and they have some message right and then the followers pick it up and they're like let's take this message to the thousandth degree and they become zealots so like yeah. you look at like jesus like jesus was like oh forgive your neighbor and people were like oh kill witches you know <laughs>
0: yeah right <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean jordan like I, I, I love jordan's book and jordan's book is also one of my top 10 books but oh. it's not my top book right like oh, what's your talk
1: book you gotta be curious
0: the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel uh, book. It's actually about trauma, oh, cool. right? So oh, nice. it's it's The Body Keeps the Score, Waking the Tiger, which is by Peter Levine. So mm-hmm. both of these books are about trauma.
1: I'm going to have you're going to have to send me those. I will. Write, write, write those down for me at the end. For sure. Maybe we can, maybe we can put those. Oh, you have the list. So I'll just go to your list.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just go to my website. Nice. Um, those, because what I think, I think it, what is more important than other people's messages mm-hmm. is the understanding of how, how your life has impacted you, right? Like your body has been impacted by every single person that has talked to you, spoken to you, you know, worked with you, hurt you, right? Like one of the first things that I wanna do in understanding people is understand their pain, right? Like, because your pain often implements the understanding of how you use perspective, right? How you look at life is really, really fundamental, by how you look at pain, mm. like, were you abused as a kid? Cause it's gonna, mm-hmm. it's gonna fundamentally change how you look at life, you know, and and how trauma informs our vision and what we think we can do and what, you know, who we are. Like trauma literally changes the brain. That's, that is a scientific fact that, right? Like more than one person has found, like Peter Levine, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, these, these guys do this trauma work in the study and find out what the brain does does and what it can and cannot do because of trauma. Mm. Like, it's a thing. So trauma is more important than the perspective of other people to me. Mm. Yeah. But you know, how I've, how I've kind of changed my life and adapted is looking at that trauma and looking how, looking at how that trauma impacted my perspective. It was fundamental for me to look at other people and learn how they look at life so that I could inform my own perspective. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I looked at Jocko's book. I looked at, you know, David Goggins book. I looked at Jordan Peterson's book. I looked at 55, 60, 70 other books, you know, in a couple mm-hmm. of years to find out which parts of it would work for me. And I took parts from Goggins and I took parts from Jordan Peterson and, and jocko but i also took parts from brene brown and peter levine and you know Bessel van der kolk and they're scientific and they're
1: very very nice yin-yang balance you got there with your books i like
0: right it. well you know i don't look for happiness i look for balance mm. Like that's that like when people come to me and work with me i'm not trying to help you find happiness like that's mm. it's not it's not a thing like you you can find happiness watching one tiktok video and laughing because the dog does something stupid right yeah. that's happiness like i want people to find balance and if mm. you're if you're going to find balance you're going to have to have someone that's willing to both treat you with empathy and and support but also have accountability in a in a sense of i don't know like respectful judgment and mm. and, 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 and like empathetic criticism in a, in a way that's what I think. Kind of good talk therapy is, but I'm not seeing many. Like I, I see the people that never got that. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of where. Do you,
1: do you think? Um, I was just thinking about how you, you're saying mostly women come to you. Do you think um <clears throat> there's just not as many men who are looking for help? Like maybe there's as many who need it, but do you think they're just not looking for it?
0: So. It's an interesting it's an or is, interesting or maybe is,
1: is is TikTok mostly maybe it's just TikTok you're getting your clients from, huh? Well a lot I, of women I, women more I female. Think,
0: I think that's probably a big aspect of it. But here's the thing. I've been watching people like Gary Vee, Jocko, Jordan. Like I've been watching these guys, right? Yeah. And I pay attention to their comment or their content, but I also pay attention to who comments.
2: Hmm. Right.
0: And when yeah. you watch like guys like Gary Vee. Right. Mm-hmm. Gary V has huge followings of guys that are like, I I want to be Gary Vee, you mm. know, And, and you've got Jordan Peterson, like Jordan Peterson has literally made a movement for men. Right. Yeah. Like that wasn't his intention, but that's yeah. what he got. Like he, yeah. he is like a, like the, like the hero for, for young guys because he talks about, you know, how young guys are, are being kind of like abused or, or mistreated and, not supported Hmm. so these guys are looking for it but they're not they're not looking for it like maybe the traditional uh like if you look at if if you look at social media Mm -hmm. like you've got a guy and you got a girl right Mm -hmm. girls are maybe more willing to step into something new and say hey i want to try this you know with dylan i i resonate with him Mm -hmm. you know and obviously tiktok you know, I hit TikTok big. So I, a lot of my people are a lot of my following is female. So they, mm. they obviously go that way, but I don't think there's many content creators that are what men want mm. yet,
1: mm.
0: or I don't think they're, they're prepared for, it. I'm seeing more men now than I yeah. did in the beginning, Interesting. but it's, it's interesting right like you see you see gary you see Jocko, you see jordan peterson but you you don't see you know guys step like those aren't one-on-one coaching like they need those aren't like those aren't you don't see therapists like that
2: yeah right? yeah i th- i think
1: uh <clears throat> this kind of speaks to my own experience i think part of it might be um yeah getting that one-on-one thing is like less something not as something men are as comfortable with like okay. I know for myself, like generally over the years, like if I could choose between like, oh, I just let some like downloadable video course that I just kind of do on my own in my room right. or like going to somebody and having to like tell them about all my problems. Like I'm generally going to pick the one where I can stay anonymous, you know? Right. And uh, that might have a lot to do with like some like evolutionary psychology. Like
2: sure,
1: me- men maybe kind of know, like if you tell other people your weaknesses, like it might get you killed, you know? And, right. <clears throat>
0: So that's, that's an interesting, interesting thought for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, uh, I've, I've heard about some studies with like teenagers where, um, they were researching like, uh, girls versus boys. Like what, how do they feel after talking about their problems? And like boys generally feel kind of like awkward and weird and like embarrassed and girls are like relieved like oh so i thank god i finally got that on my chest i got to talk about it right. and like there's you know we can argue like for the rest of the time about whether that's cultural or uh evolutionary right. but i think there's a, a good like reason to believe there's some evolutionary component to it like guys guys are trying not to get like stabbed in the back while they're taking a piss in the woods you know <laughs> right
0: exactly um, oh it's an it's an interesting thought though. and, and that's something something i've been paying attention to for the past few years and just seeing you know seeing how seeing how guys interact on social media versus how women interact on social media. It's just really, really interesting.
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Chicks love to vent, right? (laughs)
2: That's
1: all, that's all generalities, but uh, it seems more common that like uh, females will go on and be like, Oh, here's something terrible that happened in my day. I just need to vent about it. And guys will be like, here's a funny meme.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's definitely something that, uh, definitely something that intrigues me you know definitely something i'm going to be be continuing to to push to to learn and and grow because i want
1: to do group group coaching
0: it's soon i've been
1: i'm I'm curious if that would attract more guys because they might just feel more uncomfortable with like the one-on-one like intimacy feeling but if it's like a group and it's kind of fun it might be more likely to join i don't know
0: yeah and it's you know that's something that um I recently did a talk with a a men's tribe. Um, It's like a, my friend, Chris runs it, um, has, has great conversations with these guys. Um, It's all, obviously all men. Um, And I gave my story, right? Like I, I've been, you know, I lost my dad to to suicide at six years old. And then, you know, my life just went downhill from there Mm -hmm. Um, abused by the next guy in my life, bullied in high school, joined the military pretty much to die. Um, And went to Afghanistan, saw some, saw some terrible things, and then came home, tore my ACL. And I was alone in Fort Knox for like seven, eight months after Mm. all of this. Mm. Um, And, and I had this whole conversation and it got to the point where I want, you know, I went to, I chose suicide Mm. um, and didn't go through with it. But then that was the moment where I changed and I'm talking to all these guys um, and expressing, you know myself and there there were parts of it where like gets me emotional sometimes um and you know <laughs> watching guys react versus watching women react is very interesting because I've spoken to women in, mm-hmm. in in a group and I've spoken to men in a group now um and speaking to men in the group I have no idea whether they actually like appreciate this there's, story. It was kind of stone faced the right, whole time. Yeah, just stone. Yeah. Right. And you know, by the end, like I, I opened it up to questions and if anybody has any comments and like every single guy was like, holy shit, man, that was powerful. Like this is, this is like incredible. <laughs> and, and I'm still yeah. I'm, like, so like, I'm so honored to, to like watch you and listen to this. And I'm like, well, that's great, man. I had no clue if you actually cared, but it's like, it's super interesting to to see the the openness of emotions between men and women, mm. and obviously we like society doesn't have it right for men. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no allowance for you know, wh- and whether that's a something that has maintained, I don't even know, but the there is no openness for male emotion. And yeah. it's being proven every time I stand in front of soldiers and talk to them about suicide. Every time mm-hmm. I tell my story to, you know, men's tribe, something like that. Like, it's crazy. It, it is mm-hmm. so, it's so incredible to see the the difference, you know?
2: Yeah. Very true.
1: Yeah. I've seen, uh, yeah, I, used, I actually teach uh, with a uh, company we run called uh, Resiliency First. Sure. And we run retreats for like first responders um who are either have ptsd or are trying to prevent it um mostly we've done like fire departments but we've also had police and military and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, i've kind of had like the same experience like i'm teaching them qigong i i start with some like speech on like what i've been through and how qigong helped me and what qigong is and okay let's do some qigong and and uh kind of the whole time I was like, I have no idea if this is like going over well at all. You know, I was like this group of like sturdy firefighters that are just right. gonna stare at me. And But then at the end it's, yeah, same same deal. Like like 70% of them come up to me, look me in the eye, shake my hand, thank me, tell me how cool it was or how much they got out of it or something they appreciated about my story or they asked for my YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, but you couldn't tell like the rest of the time. Right. Um, but they actually turned out to be like the, my favorite group I ever teach because uh, yeah. Normally, it's like, if I teach a new group of people, they're all like, oh, that was, like, fun, and they just, like, bail. But this group, like, that is, like, so, I don't know, some, like, honor culture or something, that they're like, no, you go up and you thank they, <laughs> yeah. And they all come shake my hand firmly and stuff. Yeah, for so, sure. So they're really fun. But uh, I did notice, like, the one thing that seems to uh, work really well is using humor, because yeah. it really, like, yeah, humor just, like, totally breaks the, like, awkwardness of, like, oh, we're talking about, like, really personal shit here. So I yeah. uh, just, like throwing enough jokes to kind of like keep it a little light once in a while and yeah they could definitely men can express laughter for sure if not uh crying and stuff so
0: right for sure that's definitely something you know i've been in the infantry for 13 years now and like we have some dark humor and i'm able to i'm able to work with that a little bit with especially with uh um you know my military speeches and, and talking to talking to soldiers but yeah it's it's always interesting and but it's when you, when you get to the end, it's, that's when you really realize just how much you've really impacted people. And, and it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yes. well, here's Nick before, before we end, I've got to end. I've got, I've got a meeting coming up actually. Sure. Um, before we end, if there was a message you could leave the world
1: what would it be? This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound funny, but if you're trying to heal your brain, stop eating vegetable oils: <laughs> canola oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, cottonseed oil, soy oil, corn oil. These are super cheap, crappy industrial oils that we used to use in the 1930s to make uh, household paint products because they oxidize so quickly at room temperature that they turn from a liquid to a solid <clears throat> And uh, eventually they figured out how to make them cheaper with petroleum and to make paint with petroleum instead of these oils and the farmers and everything making these seeds had to figure out some other way to sell them and so they marketed them as a healthy alternative to butter and lard and other kind of animal- based. Uh, fats at the time and that's basically when we started this like kind of myth that uh vegetable oil will like make you skinny and healthy and stuff like that and uh, i think it's the worst thing we ever did for our brains and i can't think of anything i did on my healing journey that made my brain made a bigger boost in how my brain recovered than cutting that stuff out of my diet so replacing those seed oils with uh coconut oil butter clarified butter called ghee is a really good one to cook with uh olive oil Avocado oil. Um, there's a ton of debate, like everything in the nutrition world, there's a crap ton of debate on this, but I this is this is one I'll stand firmly by. Um, and they put it in everything, so it's actually really hard to get out of your diet because you go to a restaurant, that's the cheapest oil, that's what, usually what they're cooking in. You buy packaged foods, that oil is so indigestible, bacteria doesn't want to eat it, so they use it as a preservative for like bread and crackers and stuff. So uh, it's hard to avoid, but I think worthwhile doing if you feel like you've got like, especially like TBI anything where you got like inflammation in your brain or like damage to your neurons. I think that can upgrade you pretty good.
0: Interesting. I never yeah. would have expected you to say something like that.
1: That's awesome. That's good. Oh, also believe in yourself. Sure. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I just, I, I, that wouldn't have been the first thing like, man, it's probably going to be something about. Uh, qigong or you know like uh, something like that yeah. like who knows like that's
1: well it's funny i've been trying to like stick in the qigong wheelhouse for a long time um but after this tiktok thing like usually when i'm posting online it's like oh this is qigong and here's why it's good for you or here's here's a qigong movement if this was this is good for like i kind of make it about like the tool instead of the benefit yeah. so this video that went viral was wasn't really about qigong like i'm kind of doing qigong in it but the, all the words are like oh here's my mental health journey here's what i went through yeah. and yeah qigong was a little part of that but also like nutrition and a bunch of other stuff and like i got so many questions like what do you eat what do you eat what do you eat and i'm like okay maybe it's time to like stop the imposter syndrome and actually say what I think about nutrition. Cause it was like at least half the picture, um, on my journey. So I think probably important to get some of that out there. Absolutely. Well, Nick, it's been awesome talking
0: to you and honestly, we'll probably, we probably have more to talk about and we Wait. probably should figure out another time to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah. Is there, is there anything else that you want to f- finish out with anything, any last words you want to say?
1: Uh, no, this was super fun. I'm really stoked. And, uh, yeah, I hope to do this again soon. Absolutely, man.
0: All right. Well, let, well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode. Don't mind my, uh, my word throw up there. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, join me next week on the Dylan experience where we'll be talking about something that involves things. I don't even know, but thank you. (laughs)